been talking for several weeks about our relationship with Jesus. What does it mean? What does it look like to follow Jesus Christ? And to better understand what it means to follow Him, we've been looking at Peter, one of the twelve disciples, his relationship with Jesus, and asking God to teach us from Peter's encounters, Peter's experiences with Jesus, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And today we're going to focus on Peter's heart, on his passion, on his emotions, on that stuff deep inside of him that really drove him toward Christ. Now, when I study the life of Peter, one thing that really jumps out at me, even though he wasn't perfect, he was up and down sometimes, he was very faithful, other times he was unfaithful, he did really well, and then times he struggled. But the one thing that seemed to be consistent in Peter's life was that his heart really did belong to Jesus, that, that he was passionate about Jesus. I mean, that he loved him, and his heart, without doubt, without question, belonged to Jesus Christ. Now, all of us show our heart, show our love, show our passion in different ways, but the truth is, when you're passionate about something, when you care about something, when you love someone, it's going to show. It's going to come out, and it did in Peter's life, because it's hard for it not to come out. Uh, last night, I was talking with a man whose mother is in the, the final stages of cancer. And he had a hard time talking because he was crying so hard. When you care about someone and that person is dying, you can't hide it. It comes out. When you feel strongly, when you have passion, when you have love, it's there and it shows itself. And well, let, me, let me just ask you, how many of you have ever looked at another person and you said to that person, I love you. Not only I love you, but you've said to that person something like this, I love you so much, I, I can't even put it into words. You say, I love you with all my heart. How many of you have ever said, I love you with all my heart? Raise your hand. You ever said anything like that? Now, usually it's a husband to a wife, wife to her husband, or it's, you know, parents to their children. I love you so much. I love you with everything that's in me. I love you with all my heart. I and you're struggling to find words that capture the depth and, 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 and the intensity of your love for that person. This weekend, uh, Will Crute uh, got married and uh, over at First Baptist in Clover where his new wife grew up and was a member, and I helped officiate that, uh, that wedding. And Friday evening during the uh, rehearsal dinner, his dad, Bill, was reading to Will a letter that he'd written. And he, a lot of you know Bill, big old guy, tall, okay, older guy. There were times Bill had to stop and let his wife Linda read parts of the letter because as he was reading, he, he kept getting choked up. Because when you care, when you love, it just happens, right? I mean, when you care about someone, when that passion's there, when your heart's there, it's going to come out, it's going to show itself, and that's a good thing. When it comes to Peter, a follower of Jesus, his heart for Jesus just kept showing up. When you look at different incidents, different events, episodes in his life, it's obvious that he was passionate about following Christ. In fact, I would say that Peter wore his feelings, his emotions on his sleeve. I mean, when he felt something, he didn't hide it. It was out there in the open for everyone to see. He wasn't afraid to show it. And today, what I want to do is real quickly just look at five experiences in Peter's life. And the first one, if you've got your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We're going to look at five events, five episodes in Peter's life, his relationship with Jesus, that just demonstrate for us how when, when Jesus has your heart, 
When, when He has your heart and, and you love Him, it just shows itself. You, you can't help but do something that, that expresses that passion and that love for Him that fills your heart. Now, here's the background for, for John chapter 6. You remember the miracle where Jesus took the, the five loaves of bread and the two fish and multiplied them? And He fed 5,000 men plus women and children, so it was a tremendous miracle. Well, after that, these large crowds started following Jesus. And He continued to teach them. But in time, His teaching became controversial. And people in the crowd started debating among themselves what Jesus was saying. Some said, I agree with that. Others, I don't agree with that. Some said, I like that. Others say, I don't like that. And so there, there developed this tension in that crowd of people that had been following Jesus, listening to Him teach. And that's where we pick the story up in John chapter 6, beginning at verse 66. The Bible says as a result of this, this teaching of Jesus that some people were struggling with that was being debated, as a result of this, many of His disciples, not all of them, but a lot of them, those who had been following and listening, withdrew. They turned away and stopped following Him, and they were not walking with Him anymore. Now imagine that, because sometimes we have this image that everybody loved Jesus. Everybody liked Jesus. Everybody accepted His teaching, except the Pharisees maybe. Everybody else, they wanted to hang out with Jesus. They wanted to be around Him. But that wasn't true because Jesus told it like it was. He communicated truth to them. And there came this moment when some people said, we can't accept that. We're not going to accept that. It became too much, demanded too much. And so they stopped listening and they stopped following. It's the same thing today. But Jesus, after that happened, notice what He did in verse 67. He looked at the twelve disciples. And Peter's one of them. And He said to those twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? Hey guys, do you want to go with them? Guys, are you going to do like they? Are, are you going to stop listening to me? Stop following? Are you, are, you, are you offended? Are you having a problem with this? Are you going to leave me as well? And then Peter answered in verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. When it got right down to it, in that moment when Jesus was no longer the most popular man around. When what Jesus was teaching and what Jesus was saying was no longer accepted by everybody. In that moment when a large segment of the population turned away from Jesus, Peter said, Lord, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. What about you? When you find yourself at high school, when you find yourself at work on Wednesday morning, when you're at that party on Friday night, when you're hanging out with those friends at the lake, wherever you are, when you find yourself in those moments, in those situations, with those groups where Jesus isn't popular with everyone, where what He teaches, where His truth and the values that we as followers of Christ live by, when, when that's not acceptable in the eyes of everybody. What do you do? Do you turn around and go with the crowd? Do you become meek and mild and quiet and hide in the corner? Or do you look at the Lord and say, Lord, I'm not going anywhere. I know who you are. I believe you. And I believe what you say. And God, I'm staying put. 
I'm not going anywhere. See, this is just one small time in Peter's life that in a that in a critical moment he demonstrated the fact that in the end, come push, come shove, come whatever, he knew who he was. And it was because his heart belonged to Jesus. And he was not going to allow the crowd to make his heart stray. There's another episode in Jesus' life He's with his disciples, and we're told about it in several of the Gospels, but in Matthew 26 in detail. He's with his disciples. It's the evening. He's, he's about to be arrested. And they're having their last meal together. And during that meal, he says to these guys, to these 12 disciples, he says, tonight you're going to be offended because of me. You're going to be embarrassed by me. And you're going to fall away, and you're going to deny me tonight because it's going to be a hard time and, and, and you're going to back away. And do you remember how Peter responded? I printed the words in your note sheet there. Peter said, even though all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Not me, Jesus. Peter said, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Peter said, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And he kept saying it insistently over and over and over. Peter said, Jesus, I'll not deny you. Now, we know that he did deny Jesus, right? But in that moment, you see his heart. In that moment, you see what he wanted. You see the kind of man he longed to be. You see that deep in his heart, he wanted to be faithful. He did not want to be ashamed of Jesus. He did not want to turn away. He wanted to stay true. He wanted to to sacrifice. His heart belonged to Christ. And even though later, just in a few hours, he would fall, it wasn't what he wanted. And, And how many of you have ever come up short of your want to? How many of you have ever said, I really want to, but when push came to shove, it didn't happen? None of us live up to perfection, do we? None of us fulfill all of our dreams and all of our goals. But you better know what your dreams are. You better know what your goals are. You better know what you care about. You better know what you want to be. And in that moment, we get a glimpse of what Peter wanted. He wanted to be loyal. He wanted to be faithful because his heart belonged to Jesus. And then later that evening when Peter would deny Jesus three times, what did Peter do after he denied him? What did he do? He wept, he cried, but but Mark's gospel, listen, tells us that he wept bitterly. There there was such pain inside of him that when he cried, he he wasn't just crying, there's this deep-seated, this heartfelt disappointment in himself that he had not done what he said he wanted to do. You You ever been racked with pain because you let yourself down? Because you didn't measure up to what you really wanted. Peter was so disappointed in himself and he cried. He cried bitterly. Deep, deep pain. But you see, that shows you where his heart is because it can't hurt if you don't care. His heart belonged to the Lord. Belonged to Jesus. And then you remember when Jesus was arrested? Look in John chapter 18. Turn over there a few pages. John chapter 18. Jesus and his disciples leave that room where they have the last meal and they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays. And then Judas leads this mob. They come to Jesus to tie his hands behind his back and take him away to trial and crucifixion. 
And when they show up, notice what Peter did in verse 10 of chapter 18. Peter then, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. Peter, with all of his passion, wanted to defend Jesus. Here this mob comes to arrest Jesus, and, and Peter wants to defend him, so he reaches out and draws that sword, and he swings and he cuts a guy's ear off. Now Jesus would tell him, hey, Peter, stop. This is the reason I was born. I, I have to die. Put up your sword. And he heals the man's ear. But in this simple little story, you get a sense of how Peter felt about Jesus and that he wanted to defend Jesus. He wanted to protect Jesus. He wanted to take care of Jesus because he cared about him. His heart belonged to Jesus. Well, Jesus is arrested and he's crucified and then he's buried. And then that Sunday morning in chapter 20 of John, Jesus is raised from the dead. But the disciples don't know it yet. The first people to go to the tomb that Sunday morning were some women. And look at verse 1 of chapter 20. On the first day of the week that Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. And when she saw that empty tomb in verse 2, she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciples and she told them that they've taken the Lord's body away. The tomb's empty. We don't know where he's at. And in verse 3, Peter and the other disciple, that other disciple is John who's writing this book, they went to the tomb, and in verse 4, the two of them were running together. And, and John, who writes this, adds later in verse 4 that he was running faster than Peter. But they were both running. And yet when you run towards something, it's because you want to get there quickly, because you want to see, you're anxious, you're passionate, whatever. I remember when our son, Stephen, was young. He was riding his bicycle one day, and it was out in, the, in, in a wooded area down a, a hill. And... and uh, and I was, I was maybe 50 yards away, and, and I know he had a, a small limb or a log or something on the ground, and when he did, that front wheel just locked up, and I can still see that bicycle doing a total somersault. And here my little baby boy does that somersault, and lands wham, on the ground. And all I hear is this faint cry, because his breath is knocked down. He can't get anything out. And this big old fat boy started running. And I got there just as, fa as fast as I can because that's what you want to do. You get there. You want to see. And so here's Peter. Get this. Now, Peter's been through all this turmoil, Jesus, that he loves and is so passionate about, that he's been with for three years. This, this Jesus that he made these heartfelt promises to that he let down when he denied him. And then he, he stood there at the cross and, and he saw Jesus crucified and died. And, and he saw Jesus buried. And now this tomb is empty and he's got all these emotions going on and he's running to that tomb because he wants to know what's going on. And I love these little episodes in Peter's life because they tell me so much about him. About his heart. His passion. And then Jesus is raised from the dead and he appears to the disciples. And in chapter 21... The disciples have left Jerusalem. They've gone north to Galilee and they're on the, the shore, the bank of the, the Sea of Tiberias, which is also the Sea of Galilee. It's called by several names. And that evening, Peter, James, John, and, and uh, four other disciples go fishing. And you would fish during the night when it, was, when it was cooler because the fish would come up and you could catch them in your nets. During the day, it would be hot and the fish would go deeper in the water and you couldn't catch them. And so they spent the whole evening, all night, fishing. And when daybreak came, they had not caught anything. And as they are drawing their nets out of the water and, and, and starting to head back into shore, they notice there's a man standing on the bank. It's all told to you there in the opening verses of chapter 21. There's this guy standing on the bank, and they don't, they don't recognize him. 
And he shouts out to them, Catch anything? You didn't, did you? Now that's my Steve Hogg paraphrase. And they answer back, No, haven't caught anything. And Jesus tells them to take their net and drop it in the water again on the right side of the boat. Now what's interesting about that is when Peter first met Jesus three years before, they had been fishing and caught anything at all. And that morning Jesus was teaching a crowd and said, Hey, Peter, let me get in your boat. And they pushed the boat out from shore just a little bit and Jesus sat in and taught the crowd. Peter was not yet a disciple. And then Jesus said, Peter, let's go out and fish. And he said, Why? We fished all night, didn't catch anything, and now it's day. Just do it. And so Peter took the boat out and he dropped the net and he caught so much he couldn't get the net back in. Started breaking the nets. And so Jesus on the shore, they don't know who he is yet. They haven't recognized him. He says, drop your nets on the right side of the boat. And they do and they catch a whole bunch of fish and they're having a hard time getting it in. And all of a sudden John, it clicks and he, it's Jesus. And he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, it's Jesus. And you know what Peter does? Because all these emotions are coming back. I can just imagine Peter remembering that first time he met Jesus in that boat. It all comes flooding back and and his heart's just beating. You know what he does? He takes off his outer clothes. It'd be like if you were out fishing, you take off your pants and your shirt and you're just there in your underwear and he jumps in and he starts swimming. The Bible says it's 100 yards from shore and he starts swimming back to shore because the boat is so heavy from all the fish they caught, he can swim to the bank faster than they can get the boat to the bank. And so here he is. He wants to get to Jesus so fast, he jumps in and he starts swimming to shore and he beats the boat there. And then later that morning, they're ready to cook breakfast and Jesus says, hey, one of you will go over and get some of those fish you caught. And Peter, like a little kid wanting to please his granddaddy, jumps up and runs as fast as he can to get one of those fish and bring it back so they can cook it for breakfast. And I love that story because it just tells me about his heart. Later that same morning, Later that same morning, Peter and Jesus would have a personal conversation. And Jesus would look at Peter and ask him a question. Peter, do you love me? And Peter responded, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus asked him a second time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus asked him a third time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter kind of sad, hung his head, but said, Lord, you know I love you. See, I think Jesus asked him three times on purpose. Three times he denied him. But Jesus was restoring Peter by giving him three opportunities to confess his love. Because Jesus knew that even though Peter had messed up, Peter loved him. And his heart belonged to Jesus. Now Peter would go on to be a great preacher. He's the one that on the day of Pentecost preached to a crowd of thousands and saw 3,000 people commit their lives to Jesus Christ all at one time. Peter became a pillar of the early church. He wrote two books in our New Testament. A man that God used in an incredible way. But you see, I am convinced that Peter became that kind of man of God that Peter never quit, never gave up. He lasted and he grew and he became somebody faithful and dependable 
Because through all of it, through all of it, the one consistency was his heart belonged to Jesus. See, when your heart belongs to him and you get knocked down, I don't know how long you'll be there, but you'll get up. When your heart belongs to him, when you mess up, when you backslide, when you sin, when you do what you wish you had not done, when your heart belongs to him, he uses that heart connection to pull you back. To pull you back. And to keep you in relationship. Because he loves you more than you love him. And he's never going to give up on you. He's never going to stop loving you. The book of Romans says there is nothing in this created universe that can separate you from God's love in Jesus Christ as a follower of Christ. His love is forever and ever and ever and ever. And by the way, when He forgives you because you mess up and then you repent and turn from it and ask forgiveness, the Bible says He removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west, going opposite directions, never to meet again. God forgives and forgets. So here's my question to you. Does your heart belong to Jesus? Does your heart belong to Jesus? See, you you can go to church and you can be religious and your heart not belong to Jesus. So again, does your heart belong to Jesus? Does He have your heart? Does He have your passion? Does He have your love? Does your heart belong to to Jesus Christ. Now, I want to be like a shotgun for a minute. You know, a shotgun, you just shoot and pellets go everywhere. Several Bible verses in which God tells us what our heart as a follower of Jesus Christ will be like. Okay? Don't have time to elaborate. Just want to hit them real quickly, okay? What, for you and me, as a follower of Jesus Christ, what, is, what, is, what does our heart look like. Luke chapter 10, verse 27, and it's in your notes and on the screen, Jesus is speaking, quoting the Old Testament, and He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your what? Say that again, church, with all your... Say it again, with all your... Love the Lord with all your heart. When was the last time you verbally expressed to Jesus, I love you? When was the last time you were praying and you actually said to God, I love Love you. See, when you love someone, you you say it. Some some of you some of you have some pain inside you today because you grew up in a home where you knew that your father loved you or whatever, but he just didn't know how to say it. And you wish he had said it. And yeah, he loved you and you love him, but there's something inside of you that aches wishing I could have heard my dad say, I love you. I love you with all of my heart. I love you so much because We as human beings need those words. And God has said to us, I love you. Jesus says to us, I love you. 
And you and I need to say to him, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. I love you, God. I love you. And help me love you more. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Express it. Don't keep it to yourself. You express it. Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation, the thinking in my heart be acceptable in your sight. God, keep my heart right. Don't let me go wrong in my heart. Keep my thoughts and my meditations and my reflection right. God, let what goes on inside of me be pleasing to you. Psalm 26, to examine me, O Lord, try me and test my mind and my heart. God, I give you permission to examine the health or the sickness of my heart. And if what's going on inside of me needs healing, needs helping, needs to be better, needs to be different, God, I give you permission to examine me, test me, and fix me because I want my heart, I want the inside of me to always be right with you. Psalm 95, verse 8, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah. Your heart can go stale. It can get hard. We see it in relationships. We see it in marriage. It can happen spiritually. Meribah, that's when Moses was leading the Jewish people from slavery in Egypt in the wilderness on the way to Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments when they're in the desert and They don't have a lot of resources, and it's hot, and they're thirsty, and they're hungry. And God had always been taking care of them, but they reach this point where they're just tired of how hard it is, and they start grumbling and complaining against God and against Moses and against Aaron, and they're just negative and complaining and grumbling. And God tells Moses to go out there and take his rod and hit that rock, and when he does, water comes out, and God takes care of them. But then God also judges the people. Do you know one of the ways, listen, one of the ways your heart gets hard is to be a negative grumbling, complaining person. Has a way of hardening your heart. Hebrews 3.8, same thing is repeated, do not harden your hearts. That's when they provoke me, God says, in the days of trial in the wilderness. Talking about the same experience. And the time, listen, the times that we are most likely to grumble and complain and move toward a harder heart are during times of trial, during hard times. Now hear me, brothers and sisters, when you're going through hard times, it's when you need to ask God to help you protect your heart most. Because when you're going through trials, when you're going through tribulation, when you're going through hard times, when you're disappointed, when life hurts, that's when you're more likely to be a negative, complaining person and it will kill your heart if you don't watch it. So give God permission to keep your heart healthy, even during the hard times. Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there, there will your heart be. Also, he's talking about money, what you love. I mean, some of you love money more than you love Jesus. Psalm 9, verse 1, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart and I will tell of all your wonders. You see, when you're you're excited and thankful, you express it. When you're happy about something, when you're grateful for something, you talk about it. Uh, You know, the letter I sent to the church this week, and and I wrote blogs and letters, I don't remember what I said where, but whatever I sent out to you all about our our trip to Italy this summer, and we'll be there when our granddaughter is born, and um, I, mentioned, I think I mentioned in the letter that I'm going to be blogging about our trip this summer and posting some pictures. 
I guarantee you when Liliana is born in July, there will be a picture on my blog of that new grandbaby. Okay? Because when you're excited, you're thankful, you talk about it. When you're thankful for Christ, you talk about it. When, when there's joy in your heart because Jesus has your heart, you talk about Him. When you're thankful for forgiveness and life change, you talk about what Jesus has done in your life. To be thankful and say nothing, that doesn't make sense. And if you're really thankful for Jesus, you talk about Jesus. That's what He says there. And then in Romans chapter 9 and Romans chapter 10, Paul is writing and, 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 he, and he says, Guys, I want you to know how burdened my heart is. There is such grief and sorrow in my heart because of the spiritual condition of my fellow kinsmen according to the flesh, the Jews, the Israelites. They're lost. They don't know Jesus. And he said, I am so brokenhearted over their condition that I wish I were cursed or separated from Christ. He's saying, I am so brokenhearted over their spiritual condition that, that I wish God could send me to hell in their place if it would mean their salvation. Now that's a burden. And in chapter 10, he said, My heart's desire and prayer for them is their salvation. Who did you pray for this week that is lost and you prayed for them because you wanted them to be saved. Anyone? Anyone? How burdened is our heart for people who don't know Christ? Then Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other. I love that verse. Tender-hearted. And then in Colossians 3.12, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Put it on as a choice. See, as you get older, now listen to me, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as you get older, you are to get better. The older you get, the longer you live as a follower of Jesus Christ. The closer you follow Him, the more He has your heart, the more you become tender-hearted. You see, we all start at different places. Okay? The issue is not where we start. The issue is the direction we travel. And if as you go by, as you get older, as the years pass, instead of finding yourself becoming more tender-hearted, you become just harder. You're heading the wrong direction. You may never be as tender-hearted as such and such a person. That's not the question. The question is, what is your heart like today? compared to what it was like yesterday? Are you a better you? Are you becoming more compassionate? Are you becoming more tender-hearted? Are you moving in the right direction? Because the truth is, as we age and go through life, we're either going to get better or worse. We're either going to be more tender-hearted and kind and compassionate, or we're going to be more grouchy and more hard and more grump. You're going to be one or the other. Which is it? Follow Christ. And he says, become more tender-hearted. 
as the years go by. And then um, one last verse. I'm just going to jump down to 1 Peter 3.15. All of this happens because we sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts. Sanctify means to dedicate something to God. And so you take that place in your heart that is the throne, that is for lordship, the place in your heart that controls who you are, that decides how you approach life. And what he says by sanctifying that is that you take that place in your heart and you dedicate it to Jesus and his lordship. And that's the driving factor as you follow Jesus in growing and changing. Last Sunday, I mentioned to you the the Christian woman in Sudan who's in prison awaiting execution because she's a Christian. Miriam Ibrahim. She's a physician. She, um, she was born into a family. Her mother was a Christian. Her dad was a Muslim. When she was young, her father abandoned the family and she was raised by her Christian mom. So all her life, this woman who became a physician has been a Christian. At church, she met another man, that guy, who's also a Christian and a physician. They fell in love. They got married. He's a Christian, has dual citizenship, American and Sudanese. They had a a boy. I think he's about 20 months old now. And some of her biological father's relatives reported her to authorities. And in this Islamic nation, the law is when you are born, whatever religion your father is, that is you. And you have no say in it. And even though her father abandoned her, they used that as an excuse to say because she now says she's a Christian. She had converted from Islam to Christianity. And in Sudan... To convert from Islam to anything is apostasy punishable by execution, by death. Now, you can convert to Islam. You just can't leave Islam. She's never been Islamic. So they arrested her, convicted her, and sentenced her to be hanged to death. Not only... Here's... here's, Listen, she's in prison right now, and so is her 20-month-old son in prison with her. And they will not allow her husband, the biological father, to have any contact with her or the son. And the sentence of the court, of the Islamic court, is when she gives birth, she's to be executed and the kids given to Islamic families to raise. While she's in prison with her 20-month-old boy, pregnant right now, by the way, She was pregnant when they arrested her with her second child. She's pregnant in the hospital, and in the hospital, this pregnant Christian mom is being physically abused, and they will not allow her to receive any prenatal care, any medical attention. Now, why am I telling you that? Because when she was in front of that Islamic judge in that Islamic court, threatened with execution, they said if she would just recant if she would just deny Jesus and if she would just confess Allah they'd let her go every day in prison Islamic clerics pressure her to turn her back on Jesus Christ and through all of it through all of it 
to stay true to the one she loves, her Lord. What would you do in that moment? And so I ask again, does Jesus have your heart? Whatever you're going through in life, does Jesus have your heart? Does He have your passion? Does Jesus have your heart? What are you going to do? Because there's some of you right now, it's beginning to dawn on you that you've given your heart to a a lot of things or a lot of people more than you have Jesus. And you need to deal with that. You need to deal with that. So let's stand and pray. And then we're going to sing. And when we worship Jesus by singing, you make your way to this altar and just get on your knees and on your face before God and talk to Him. You know what to say. Just express your love. Ask His forgiveness. Pastors will be here and If you're wanting to join this church, we invite you to come. If you need to be baptized, as these were earlier, we invite you to come. And if you want to give your life to Jesus and be saved, we invite you to come. We welcome you. Let's pray. Father, all over this room are men and women who are talking to you, listening to you. And I pray in this time of holy invitation that you help each of us do exactly what you're asking of us. Help us, oh God, to love you and obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing, you come.